0: life to us. In these moments ahead, may the Word bear fruit. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Okay, a couple of shout-outs uh, this morning. Um, in case you haven't noticed, um, the front of the church is actually finished. Uh, we have awning, We have the cover on the awning. We have a sign. Uh, You should drive. You know what you should do? You should come back tonight at six. Uh, You should come back tonight at six because all the lights are done. Look over to your left, and uh, isn't that wall beautiful too? Uh, Thanks. (laughs) You know, uh, buildings are just buildings. We have always declared that God is more concerned with people than buildings, but we also want to take care of what He's given us, be good stewards of what He's entrusted to our care. So thanks to Larry, um, Wendy, um, Rob, Malcolm, who's done a, a lot of work uh, on this facility, and just all those who have uh, really helped Patricia. And there, there's so many others. If I, I shouldn't have started naming names because like, I'm going to forget somebody. But there are a lot of people who have invested a lot of time in stuff you probably may have noticed a little bit, but you may not have. And uh, we thank them for their service to this place. Amen? Just give them a hand. Just say thank you for what they've done. Uh, you, you may know this already, but I'm, um, I'm from a Baptist heritage. How many of you are from Southern Baptist background? You know, there are two verses you memorize when you're Southern Baptist. Uh, the first one is John 3.16. If you're Southern Baptist, what's the second one? The Great Commission, absolutely. Matthew 28 19 and 20, which we know is the Great Commission, which says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I mean, right after you memorize John 3, 16, you memorize this scripture. Uh, the Great Commission, we memorized it in Sunday school. Uh, it was reiterated to us during RAs. Amen? Everybody know RAs? I wasn't a GA, but those who are GAs, uh, that's girls, Royal Ambassadors, Girls in Action, uh, Lottie Moon, Annie Armstrong. For those of you who aren't Baptists, I'm speaking in tongues, but for those who are Baptists, you know what all those names and words and heritage is about, and ultimately it's about this. It's about making disciples. Making disciples. Last week... I started the sermon off by speaking about how one of the words God has given me for this year is to be intentional. Uh, When I shared that with one of my friends, he, he said to me, you know, Bart, you're one of the most intentional people I know. And yet in my heart, I feel at times so unintentional. I feel like it's just smoke and mirrors. What looks like intentionality is... You know how inside you feel different, maybe, than at times you portray outside? And uh, I really had felt like there were some areas in my life that I had, it was processing and doing, but there was a lack of intent, direction, specificity about it. And I felt like God was giving me uh, some direction on being more intentional, purpose, uh, personally, as well as corporately. Last week, uh, I spoke on, on prayerfulness and being prayerful and intentional in your prayers. And I encouraged you to do that these past seven days. Hopefully, you have. And if you haven't, don't feel guilty. You can start today. Um, just if you didn't, weren't here last week, I would, I would encourage you to get that message on just how you can pray intentionally. How you can walk through a time of prayer intentionally. We throw this discipleship word around a lot. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? This past week, Kathy and I were with Jared and Sarah and Sarah's family out in Colorado skiing. Yes, I made it back. No slings, no broken bones. Thank you for your prayers. God surrounded me, and as did my family, who was always saying, Dad, look out, uh, for people uh, skiing around you, so we made it through, and Kathy and I came back to Denver on Friday. Uh, she's never really spent any time in Denver, and all love downtown Denver, they have this like pedestrian mall that's like a mile long of just shops and restaurants, and it's, it's got a pretty cool vibe to it, just the downtown as you walk up and down this pedestrian, this pedestrian mall, and so we spent Friday night downtown, and we got up yesterday morning, Saturday morning, and Kathy wanted to go to this store she had seen named H&M. Uh, we don't have H&M, I think, in Birmingham, but do we have it now? Unbelievable. Walk in, grab t-shirts for four bucks. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, anyway, it's a, it's a cooler version of TJ Maxx, I would say. That's my unprofessional take on the whole experience. Anyway, she wanted to go because it was right around the corner from the hotel. So we walk out of the hotel and it was kind of a blind turn out of the hotel onto a street and we found ourselves in the middle of 100,000 people in the Women's March yesterday. Unintentionally, me and Kathy were walking along like, well, what is going on? I I mean, we've been out of touch uh, for a week. You know, we missed the inauguration. We missed a lot of the stuff going on on the news. We just didn't see it. So I, I didn't even know there was a thing going on yesterday, and much less in Denver. You know, anyway, we're in the middle of this march, <laughs> me and Kathy, and they're all holding up signs. Now, I can't even repeat a lot of the signs that I saw. Um, I I mean, really, some of the words are not a part of my vocabulary. I've heard them before, unfortunately, but I would never, you know, say them in public. But there are signs, and a lot of them were really brutal, really ugly. And then you would see these ones that say, love trumps hate. Love trumps hate. And there were a lot of those. You get to play on words, trumps, you know, love trumps hate. And and I, I wanted to say to them, I don't think that word means what you think it means. The love part of it. Because I didn't sense a lot of love in the crowd as we were marching along. You understand? I'm not trying to be judgmental about my views politically or... I'm just saying we throw words around that don't mean what they think they mean. For instance, we think love means I, I get to tolerate everything about you. You know, there's no correction anymore because, you know, love means... Fully accepting you just like you are. Well, there's a definition of love that's not really love. Because if I'm not going to speak the truth in love, then I'm not really loving you. At least that's my, my view. It doesn't mean I'm condemning you. It doesn't mean I'm saying bad things about you. It just means I love you, and yet I love you so much I'm going to speak the truth same thing about discipleship. We throw this word discipleship, that's a whole other sermon, the love thing. But the discipleship idea, could it be possible that we use the word disciple, but not in the way that it really means? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? The word is pretty simple, really. The word disciple means to be a follower, a learner, uh, uh one who follows, in this case, Jesus. Some years ago, uh, there was a world-renowned scholar of classics, Dr. E.V. Rue. Uh, he, he completed a great translation of Homer into modern English for Penguin Classics. As a matter of fact, if you want to, you can still get his translation of Homer. Some of you are going to rush right out, I know, and pick up that translation of Homer and just... Can't wait to get that in my hands. Anyway, uh, he he was a scholar, and he was asked, he was a lifelong agnostic, but because of his scholarship, he was asked to create a different translation of the Gospels. And when he accepted the project, his son, who was a follower of Jesus Christ, said this, It will be interesting to see what Father will make of the four Gospels. It will be even more interesting to see what the four Gospels make a father. By the time he had finished the project, Dr. Rue became a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, the Word of God to me, it has power. And once he immersed himself in the Word, he became a follower of Jesus Christ. He tried to make one thing out of the Gospels, but actually the Gospels made something else out of him. And that's the truth about being a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not what we make of the gospel, it's what the gospel makes of us. What following Jesus Christ makes of us. In Mark 10, verses 35 through 45, I want to read you just a lengthy passage. Jesus has been with his disciples for three years. And he's headed toward Jerusalem, toward his crucifixion. And this conversation occurs, which makes you wonder if these boneheads have any idea what's going on. I mean, I use that in the most loving sense. It's this familiar passage. Just let me read it to you. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, right there should be a clue that these guys are not followers. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Jesus, rather than saying, you guys are idiots, says this. He asked them a question back. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John, Jesus called them together and said, you idiots. No, he said, you know that those who regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, me trying to describe what does it mean to be a disciple in the next 20 minutes is like me trying to, um, I think, discuss string theory in 15 minutes and to teach it. It's just so complex on one hand, but it on the other hand, it is very simple. So I, I want to I try and simplify it in order that we can be intentional about it. Are you with me? You understand what I'm saying? I, I want to simplify it, not make it so complex. I want to bring it home so that we can reflect on the truth. Am I really, am I really a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ? So these three points. What is a disciple? First, it's a call to action. It's a call to action. Three years before, Jesus had found these Four guys at the beginning of Mark, he had found um, Peter, James, John. Uh, he called them together, those three, and he says to them this: He says, "Come, follow me." Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. You see, the call to discipleship is a call to action. And by action, I don't mean you have to do something to get right with God. I mean you have to, it is a call to an active relationship with Jesus. Let me say that again. Being a disciple is a call to an active relationship with Jesus. Let me back up just a second and put it like this. Kathy and I have been married for 28 years now. Um, when you get married, it is not a call. It is a call to an active relationship. I am married to Kathy Scannell Brookens. And I have to be active in that relationship for it to continue to be a healthy marriage. It is a call to action. A call to marriage is not a call to a, oh, now I'm married, I don't have to do nothing the rest of my life. I mean, really. That kind of marriage don't last very long. I mean, it just doesn't. You know, a call to discipleship is not this. I got saved, now I'm going to heaven, and I don't got to do nothing between now and then. Now, I understand that the church has overemphasized the active part. Like, I got to do everything here. Like a works mentality to maintain my relationship with Jesus. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is the opposite is not true either. The opposite is not true that grace is so great that I don't have to do anything and Jesus does everything. I mean, there's this, there's this tension at times that we feel, what part is Jesus' part and what part is my part? Well, the, my part is this, I just love Jesus and I want to follow him. Everything else is going to move forward in that direction. But there is a call to what? Leave my old life behind and follow him. Drop my net and go with him. Mark is a really interesting study. The whole book of Mark. I have a good friend, David Malik, who many of you know. And he, he he's all the time teaching me about Mark. And it's, it seems simple, but it's much more complex. The gospel. It's the first of the four gospels that was written. It was written primarily to a Roman audience. Uh, the Roman audience was not really concerned with philosophy. They weren't Interested in long speeches. They didn't really care about genealogies. They didn't. So you don't find those things in Mark. You don't find long discourses. You don't find genealogies. What you find is a Jesus who is active. He's moving. He's healing. He's setting free. He's, he's giving short uh, teachings and then following them up. There's, I mean, it, it's, like, it's like the, active, the eyewitness news. That moves from one thing to another as it goes along. The author of the book, Mark, is an interesting study of himself. Without getting uh, into all of it, it's John Mark has been a, around. He was um, he. It, it was thought that his father is the one who bore the pitcher of water that's mentioned in Mark 14. Mark is believed to be, according to tradition, the young man who fled the garden scene on the night of Jesus' arrest. Mark is the nephew of Barnabas who who accompanied Paul and uh, Barnabas on the first missionary journey and then left home. I mean, left them to go home because he got homesick. You you should have read of that in your Bible reading the past week in Acts. Uh, But his story doesn't end there. Barnabas. And Paul, when they go on their second missionary journey, Barnabas wants to take Mark. Paul, Paul being Paul, I said, no, we're not taking him. He, you know, he, he abandoned us the last time, and I'm not, I'm not going there again. I gave him one shot. <laughs> Paul must have been a lot of fun to hang with. And he said, no, 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 I'm not doing it, Paul. Barnabas is an encourager, though, so he says, okay, you take Silas and go on. I'll take John, Mark, and we'll. And John Mark's story doesn't end there. Mark becomes a companion of Peter's. He's around when Peter writes his first epistle. He's mentioned in that that Mark was with Peter. Uh, Paul actually later on, somehow the relationship gets restored with John Mark so that later in the book of Timothy, he asks, Hey, send me John Mark. He's really helpful. I want to see him again. He's like a son to me. I mean, he gets restored. And he writes this gospel, which is the first of the four gospels according to tradition that was written probably before 70 A.D. And it's really, we believe, it's really more Peter's account that's then translated to Mark. And Mark writes this incredible gospel. It's got more miracles recorded in it than any of the other gospels. The word immediately is used over and over and over again. Immediately they did this. Immediately they did that. Some 42 times. Christ is portrayed as an active, gospel-giving Savior. You see, being a follower of Jesus Christ is not a passive thing that just happens to us. The gospel is this. It is a call to an active relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I could really stop at this point and just let things go for you and for me, for us to reflect for a moment on, how is my relationship with Jesus? Now, you may say, well, I'm active. I'm here at church. I got up this morning. I put some clothes on. I washed my hair, brushed my teeth. You know, it took me a little effort to get here. It's active. Listen, going to church doesn't make you an active follower of Jesus Christ. You see, the the call to discipleship is this. It is an active every single moment of your life relationship. It is the priority of your life. It is the the worldview for you. I mean, right? If you're a follower, that means you're following someone. <laughs> I, I don't mean to be just overly simplistic, or, but it is. You've got to be following someone and to be actively following them. You can't passively follow someone. If you're passively following, you're just a spectator, you're not a participant. And so, what I want to encourage you today is to say, if you're going to be intentional about this thing you call Christianity, then you have to be an active follower. Leave your nets and follow him. Three years later, Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. He calls them, says, leave your net, follow me. They do it. They drop it. They follow him. They've been following him around for all these years, two and a half years, almost three years. Now, they're headed down to Jerusalem where he's going to be crucified. The rich young ruler on the way down, this guy who's just identified as the rich young ruler, says, hey, Jesus, what what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, follow the commandments. "Ah, I've done that. Okay, then sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the guy goes away sad because he had a lot of stuff. You remember the story? He has a lot of stuff, so he leaves. Jesus wasn't saying, hey, every single person has to sell everything they have. But he knew that this guy's money had a hold of his heart. And what Jesus was basically saying is nothing else can have a hold of your heart and your heart be given to me as well, whatever it is. It's got to be disconnected from you. Nothing else can have its hooks in you. If it does, get rid of it. Follow me. But the disciples, and he says, it's hard for, he goes on and says, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven because he recognizes that money is, man, somebody want to testify, money can get a hold of us. Before you even know it, it's got a hold of you. And so the disciples, though, they're thinking, hey, wait a minute. We gave up everything. We dropped our nets, and for two and a half years, we've been following you. What's in this for us? You know, they're, they're looking now, thinking of the rich young ruler, thinking of themselves, looking toward the future. Jesus then teaches them about uh, rewards and greatness in the kingdom. He, talks, he starts to teach them as they ask the question, kind of what what's going on. He teaches them about rewards and greatness. And then following that, somehow James and John must have got it in their heads. Hey, we better make a move here. Jesus was talking about thrones for the disciples. If we want the best thrones, we better make get our request in now. You know, they think this is like Baskin Robbins. I got to get the... Some of you know what I'm talking about. You used to have to take a number, you know, when you went in. They want to get the number first. So they go to Jesus and say, teacher, by the way, I'm on the second point now. It's a crisis of attitude, crisis of attitude, and here's why. James and John, sons of Zebedee, came to him and say, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. They want, they want to put their request in for their reward. Now, why do I say this is a crisis of attitude? They've been following Jesus, they've left everything, but there's something in their hearts and in their attitudes that makes them not followers, but demanders of Jesus. Now, we look at this, by the way, Matthew's even more brutal in his description of this story, because in that instance, James and John send their mommy to ask. I mean, it's their mother who goes and Hey, my sons have been following you. I mean, there's nothing worse than two grown men having their mom go ask for them, right? So, I mean, it's, Matthew is brutal in his description of what As bad as this looks, that one even looks worse. The request was Outrageous. I mean, they dimly see that the end is near for Jesus, and they want to get their request for the placement of their throne right now. You know, probably, I don't know, this is, this is just my own political mind at work. All right, there's, I can see that Peter, James, and me are pretty close to Jesus, pretending I'm John. Me and James and Peter, but if me and, me and James are going to get the two best thrones, we better move quicker than Peter. We better outmaneuver him to get the best placement. I mean, it's crazy thinking, but are we that much better? How many times have we used the gospel as a demand for better living now? I mean, we've developed a whole theology about it, a theology of prosperity. You know what? Come come to Jesus because he wants to make you rich. And healthy. It's not what this passage is going to say, by the way. Nothing in this passage here. But we do the same thing. Even even if we don't adopt the prosperity doctrine, we still have this, this, I want to be a a, a follower who leads. I mean, Jesus, do what I ask of you. I said, this past week I was skiing, and um, Kathy went skiing with us, and it was her first time skiing in 28 years, so it's been a while since she's been on the slopes. Um, She's not here, so I'm not going to tell too many stories, but it was hysterical, and uh, (laughs) it was really funny. So I said to her, when we we finally got to the top of the mountain, uh, I wish I'd videotaped her getting on the lift for the first time. It was... It was great. Jared was there with it. It was really good. Anyway, we got at the top, and I said to her, Hey, I'll just follow you down. Uh, you just go on, and I'll be right behind you in case you need help, you need anything. It was the hardest 20 minutes of my life following her down the mountain. I mean, it seemed like two days following her, because she was very deliberate and slow, and she was nervous and uh, she was actually really cute about it because she'd stumble a little bit, and I'd look at her, and she push her poles in the ground like she was mad at herself. You know, she'd, I shouldn't stumble like that. But listen, it's hard to follow. It's hard to follow, and for some of us, it's harder than others. I mean, some of us our natural tendency is I don't want to be behind you. I want to be in front of you. Listen, we have the same relationship with Jesus at times. We We know Jesus is God, Jesus is creator, Jesus is redeemed, but come on, Jesus, let's get going here. Let's get things moving faster. Some of us, we really do need an attitude adjustment. We need to understand that to be a follower of Jesus means he's out in front. We're letting him take the lead. He's the Lord of our lives and the leader of our lives. Jesus goes on to them and says this, You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Their answer is, Oh, yeah, we can do that. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. You want me to get that Mitch? <laughs> it's okay. It's okay if I decline it. <laughs> there you go, bro. It was it was it was Paul Kelly, by the way. I don't know who that is, but tell him I said hello for me, will you? I should have just answered and hi Paul. All right. What does Jesus promise them? Hey, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink or be baptized with the baptism? I'm having trouble with those words. He's basically saying, can you go where I'm going? Oh, yeah. Where's he going? He's going to the cross. His promise to them is, hey, you want to follow me? Here's where we're headed. Suffering. If you're a follower, then you're headed where the person you're following is headed. And let's face it, most of us, we need a dramatic change in our attitudes and a correction to the teaching that we may have received or picked up over the years. Hey, If I follow Jesus, man, it's going to be just awesome all the time. No, it's I'm sorry, It's there's going to be a suffering involved. I read an article this past week. Um, there's a New York Times writer interviewing Tim Keller. And he basically says this to Tim Keller. He says, I like the teachings of Jesus. But this whole deal about suffering and the virgin birth And the cross and the resurrection, I'm pretty skeptical about them. But I like the teachings. Am I a Christian? You know, now many of us would have a tendency to dance around. I mean, this guy is an author for the New York Times, and he's about to put this interview in the paper. Am I a Christian? And Keller uses this great illustration. He he says to the guy this, if I'm on the board of Greenpeace... You know Greenpeace, the environmental action, climate change organization? He said, if I'm on the board of Greenpeace and I suddenly start declaring there is no such thing as climate change, he says, I'm probably going to get kicked off the board, or I should resign. Now, I can turn around and call those people narrow-minded. I can call them bigoted. I can call them all sorts of names. But their very organization is based on this thought, this belief. He said, Christianity is based on these beliefs. The resurrection is not an option. It's not. I mean, Keller was right. He said, he says, if I don't believe in the resurrection, if I don't believe in the virgin birth, if I don't believe in the sufferings of Christ and my call to suffering, then I am outside the boundary of Christ, of Christianity. I thought it was a great way of, rather than saying, you're going to go to hell, He's saying it's outside the boundary of what we call faith. Listen, it's just say, if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, it, these are not options. To be a follower is to follow Him. And, third point, and I won't stay here long, it's this. It is a command to serve. It is a command to serve. Jesus doesn't leave them there. I mean, he goes on in the story. Let me finish off the story real quick. The other ten, you know, they hear about it. They're mad. Why? Why are they mad? Those guys are going to steal my throne. I mean, they're not like mad. I don't think they're offended like, oh, these guys, they're, it's just, they're trying to, they see it as a power move. But Jesus calls them together and says, listen, this is my words. The Gentiles... They hate the Gentiles. I mean, that's like just saying the dogs are saying this. They lord authority over. The Gentile model, the world model, is this. I get in control. You do what I say. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must what? be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. He, I believe Jesus sets the record straight for then and all of eternity. To be a follower of Jesus Christ is to serve. It's not to be in control. As a matter of fact, he contrasts the world's model of being in control with his model of serving. And he even goes on and says, for even the Son of Man, me, Did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here's the point. Jesus, the Son of Man, they knew that saying. The Son of Man wasn't just some phrase he's thrown about. The Son of Man is the ultimate man. The God-man. God who's become a man. For if even the Son of Man, me, God in human flesh, didn't come, who else would have the position to say you do exi- I demand of you I'm in control but he's saying this I didn't come to be served but to serve I came to give my life up for everyone you see if you're going to follow him then you got to be like him which means that we are called to serve. We're called to give our lives up for Him. Here's what I wanted to say about being an intentional follower of Jesus Christ. It is not a passive life. It is an active call to relationship with. With Jesus, It is a call to have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus who did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself and became nothing. Hum- humbled himself to become a man. Humiliated himself even further by going to the cross on our behalf. Have this same attitude in yourselves that is in Christ Jesus. And... Serve. Give your life away. If we, as followers of Jesus Christ, known as Fullness Christian Fellowship, want to be the kind of disciples that Christ calls us to be, then this is the kind of follower he's looking for. One who loves him with everything that we are, who doesn't demand our own way, and serves others. Out of love. Lord, I pray this morning that we will, we will be the kind of follower that you've called us to be, that we will be in love with you. We'll love you with everything that we are. We'll leave everything else and follow you. That God, Lord Jesus, we will, um, you'll help us adjust our attitudes to not be so stinking self-centered, to demand our own ways, but to, to love you with all that we are and, Lord, to serve others. Lord, forgive us where we see this Christian life as a, something where we get to be served, but instead, Lord, we'll just we'll love you and serve others. Lord, I pray, I pray that for every person here that we will not be passive in our disciple living life. But that, Lord, we will be following you. And as we look at next week, we'll be sharing with others. We will be a disciple, disciple disciple-making people. Help us learn what that means. May we never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God to salvation. And we thank you, Lord. Spirit of God. I pray that you move in us to help us do what we can't do in and of ourselves. Lord, we thank you, we bless you, we praise you, we rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Thanks. Stand up with me, if you would. I want to speak a prayer of blessing over you. You're going to be dismissed if you want.